Welcome, everyone. If you're new here, every week we invite fascinating guests to cover the topics of investing, entrepreneurship, and well-being. Our guest today is Tom Wheelwright. Tom, you are a tax and wealth expert, a CPA, the CEO of a company called Wealthability, an international speaker, and the author of Tax-Free Wealth and the Win-Win Wealth Strategy. You're also the CPA and personal advisor for Robert uh, Kiyosaki, who wrote the book called uh, Rijat Purdad, and you've spoken on stage on every continent for over 100,000 entrepreneurs, small businesses, owners, and investors. You help people achieve their financial dreams faster by permanently and legally, of course, reducing their taxes. Your work has been seen in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and hundreds of other media outlets. So ladies and gentlemen, before we start, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and turn on the noti notification to never miss a single episode. And also keep in mind, always, nothing shared or discussed here is financial advice. And now that we've covered the basics, on to today's episode. So Tom, what are the few key turning points uh, in your life that define who you are today? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So... Um... So one of the early ones was, um, I, I would say the earliest was when I started working at my dad's printing company when I was in uh, 16. And I was working, um, my mother was the controller and I started working in uh, the bookkeeping department. So that's when I first got my taste of accounting. I was probably the first. The second, I would say was probably um, actually uh, as a Mormon missionary in Paris, France. Um, so not too far from your homeland. And um, uh, that was uh, that was an amazing experience, both uh, culturally as well as uh, learning how to get rejected in French, which was um, very important. It's very important to be able to get uh, handle rejection. And, um, and then um, fast forward to, uh, I met Robert, Kiyosaki, um, I had split up with a partnership and, and all half the clients left with the other partners, but all the staff stayed with me. So we decided we needed to go out and find more clients. We found an accounting firm, a CPA firm that we purchased. And one of the clients was Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, my first assignment by the seller was to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'd never even heard of. And so, um, and then uh, not long after that, Robert brought me up on stage and uh, had me explain depreciation, which is an important concept in investing, as you know. And uh, we were off and running. That was over. That was over twenty years ago. So um, it's been a it's been a great ride since then. Awesome. So let's uh, jump right into the first topic, which is wealth building. What's what mindset shift is required for people who want to start building wealth? Uh, I, I think the most important one is to, uh, it's it's not about chasing returns. It's not about focusing on the return. It's about focusing on one decision that you're going to make. What single criteria set of criteria are you going to use um, for investing? And then just apply that decision over and over again. If you look at all of the wealthy entrepreneurs from um, Bill Gates to Steve Jobs to uh, Warren Buffett, um, to uh, Elon Musk, they're all the same. They all do one thing and they do it really, really well. They don't diversify. They don't go to multiple streams of income. That is a, that's a fallacy. 
um, they specialize. And um, the old saying is a niche will make you rich. And that is uh, very, very true when it comes to when you're building wealth, you want to be specialized, not scattered. Okay, I directly have something to say about that. So it's really interesting because yeah, there is this saying also that says uh, 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 millionaires diversify, billionaires concentrate, which is kind of similar. Exactly. Yep. And same thing. I agree. Maybe a question is, when do you diversify then? Well, you diversify when you've built as much wealth as you want. That's when you diversify. So once you've built your wealth, and you go, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop building wealth. I'm pretty much done. I just want to basically retire. And I want to protect my wealth. So diversification, um, the whole concept is to not lose money. That's the whole point of diversification. If you look at the, the theory behind um, stock market diversification and the, the, the beta theory, et cetera, what you find is it's all about not losing money. It's nothing about making money. It's all about not losing money. And so when, when you've made your fortune, you don't want to lose money. So for example, um, the Walton family, um, uh, one of the Walton uh, children has been quoted as saying her target return on investment is 3%. Well, if you're worth billions of dollars, 3% is fine. You just don't want to lose the billions of dollars. And that's where she is. But you're absolutely right. Billionaires, not one billionaire got there by diversifying. There are plenty of millionaires who, who, who diversified, but there's not one billionaire who diversified. Yeah, so basically you need to concentrate to build true wealth and making money also means losing money. And the day you are at the, the goal that you initially set, uh, you're going to change your mindset. So, 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 so what does the top 1% understand and do that the other 99% of the people don't? Because we're talking about wealth building, but most people never even think about these things. They think about, you know, how do I pay all the bills at the end of the month? Uh, how do I save some money and put it in the bank? Uh, what's the kind of like complete different mindset and thing that the one top one percent or top zero point one percent? I mean, that the top the bottom ninety nine percent should do to basically change their their their, their way of thinking and uh, and their well, mind. the the first thing to remember is that investing and business are team sports. They're not individual sports. And what most people believe is that if you want something done right, you must do it yourself. Well, wealthy people believe if you want more done, you need more people to do it. And you don't have to know everything yourself. And one of the fallacies that we're taught in school is that mistakes are bad and mistakes are good. Mistakes are how we learn. But what's more important is in schools, we're taught that cooperation is cheating. Whereas in real life, cooperation is how you build wealth. It's how you build um, uh, a business. It's how you build your investments because you need specialists in other areas that it would be ridiculous for somebody to spend the time and energy that I've spent to learn how to reduce your taxes when you can just come to me and pay me a small, relatively small fee and reduce your taxes. So why would you go out and spend that time and energy to do that? So I, I've, I found that um, lately, especially that most important to me is who it's not how. So I'm not trying to learn how to do new things. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to find new people who already know how to do those things. Yeah. So basically building a kind of best of breed team and understanding that uh, you go faster alone, but further together. Exactly. 
Awesome. So, so how do successful people approach investing in general? Well, first of all, it's not emotional. Okay, so emotional intelligence is probably the most important intelligence in investing. It's not financial intelligence. Um, financial intelligence is important, but emotional intelligence, I think, is more important. If you look, uh, let's take, for example, the most famous investor in the world, Warren Buffett. And what he's best at is not being emotional about his investments. So what he does is he looks at, he's got his formula. He applies his formula over and over again, which is what we constantly talk about. It's just take that formula, that set of criteria you have. He has a criteria for investing in businesses. That's his, that's what he does as this criteria. And it begins with the team. And he looks at that, the, the fundamentals of the business. He said, look, can we make this business stronger? Is, the, is this business solid and it's, has it got a future? And he's got a whole very detailed set of criteria and he applies those details, those detailed criteria over and over again. And he doesn't vary. So um, he's lost money and he lost money recently, but I think he got distracted a little bit. And I think we all, that happens to everybody that what happens is if we get distracted or we chase the shiny object, then we're likely to lose money. Um, you can make money in any, um, any area. I mean, you can make money in anything, right? But you can lose money in anything too. So the key is to really get those criteria clear and really focus on what you're trying to do and then just go, you know, build your team and uh, make sure that you've got uh, good numbers in place. The other thing is always make sure that you know your numbers because mm -hmm. I know that Warren Buffett knows every single number. You know, if you look at his annual um, at address to the shareholders, um, he always knows the numbers. And so I think that's another thing that the wealthy do that the average person, the average person is trying to ignore the numbers and the wealthy person is fixated on the numbers. Mm. So it's interesting we're talking about Warren Buffett because, you know, we had these last kind of crazy, let's say maybe 14, 15 years since the great financial crisis where kind of everything went up, mostly due to money printing and so People mm -hmm. just buying and holding an, an index fund, an S&P 500, would basically outperform even Buffett himself. Right. I mean, now with what happened recently, it might be a bit different, but like for this entire time, like people were kind of making fun of him and of mm -hmm. uh, active uh, uh, investing strategies versus the passive ones that are much cheaper and uh, kind of recommended to the average Joe and Jane to do it themselves. And so, but this was kind of another era. I mean, some people say this kind of era is over, like it, it remains to be seen. But my question is, this was working well when, you know, market go up, basically. Building wealth is easy when market go up, which means when inflation is under control, business is booming. But now we're dealing with substantial inflation, maybe with maybe a second inflation spike coming soon and a recession. So how does one invest in this environment? Well, this is, this is where you have to go back to the fundamentals. This is where you really have to learn um, what investing is really all about. Uh, Warren Buffett, you know, the wealthy make most of their money in downtimes, not uptimes. That's what people forget is that, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, you can ride the wave, but you're also going to ride the wave down. Okay, and, and a, somebody like Warren Buffett, he doesn't ride the wave. He's, he sticks with his plan. He sticks with his um, criteria. He does that over and over again, and he doesn't vary. It doesn't matter 
what the shiny objects are. So um, right now, the most important thing that investors can do, I think, is to get some financial education, really understand how do the markets work? How does, you know, how does real estate work? How does, you know, what, what drives real estate? For example, people are all concerned about interest rates when it comes to real estate. But the reality is interest rates only matter compared to cap rates. So cap rates, the return you're getting if you pay cash, right? As long as the cap rate is higher than the interest rate, you're fine. If the cap rate's lower than the interest rate, it doesn't matter how low the interest rate is if the cap rate's lower. So it's it's this type of fundamentals and understanding how that works. And then I, I think the other side is remembering that your biggest single expense is taxes. And so it's the easiest thing to get under control and it's the easiest way to put cash in your pocket. And so in a downtime, you're always trying to find cash because you're looking for bargains to, to buy in downtimes, right? But the easiest way to find cash is actually lower your tax bill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the, the, ne the next topic right after just to, uh, mentioning crypto, because you, you mentioned about uh, downturn and the thing that's kind of the most down is crypto, with, especially sure. with what happened last year. and we basically, we both know that uh, Robert Kiyosaki is a big fan of, B of Bitcoin as part of an investment portfolio together with precious metals. So what are his advisors thoughts on Bitcoin? Does it fit into an investor's portfolio and why so, if yes? So, so you know, all, um, all assets and all asset classes go through cycles and um, cryptocurrency is in a down cycle right now. It'll, it'll, it'll be in an up cycle again. Um, if you look at it, it's typically about a four-year cycle in cryptocurrency. So um, that's that's really what you have to pay attention to. But remember, um, you know, Bitcoin is one of those things, it's like gold and silver, right? It's not something that you use really as a primary vehicle to make money. The goal with crypto is to protect your money. Goal with gold is to protect your money. It's to protect, protect your assets. Um, so you're trying to protect it against market swings. Now, the interesting thing about crypto right now is that it's moving with the market. And, and you would have expected yeah. it would be like gold, which would move against the market. And the gold has moved against the market, right? Gold has well outperformed crypto. And, and so, you know, what will happen with crypto in the future is really a, a lot of it depends on what the governments are going to do. Now, you know, I, I think everybody should have some crypto because here's what I think. Bitcoin, I've always thought this. Bitcoin is either going to go to 2 million or zero. Um, it's, it's just, it, it, it has the potential to take off and it has the potential to disappear. I mean, it's, it, I think it's unlikely to completely disappear, but it does have that potential. So um, the question is, you know, if it does go to 2 million, uh, you're going to be kicking yourself if, you, you know, you didn't buy it at 22 to mm. 22,000, right? You're going to be kicking yourself. So um, on the other hand, can you afford for it to go down to zero? And, and I think that's a big question. Gold's never going to go to zero. Gold tracks directly against the U.S. dollar. Um, if you look at it, if the dollar goes up, gold goes down. If the dollar goes down, gold goes up. And it's it's a very direct relationship. Um, we haven't seen that with crypto. So I do think that it's one of those things that you might do with some extra um, assets, some extra cash. But pro for me, probably would not be the primary investment in my portfolio. I want something that cash flows. I think cash flowing assets are always that the, kind of the 
the base of your portfolio, something to cash flows, because mm. then you can handle an up or a down cycle. It's still cash flows. You're still okay, whether it's real estate, business, energy, um, agriculture, yeah. anything that cash flows is going to, you know, even dividend paying stocks, right, tend to cash flow even in downtime. So it, it doesn't matter what asset class is. What matters is, is you know, I, I always focus on cash flow first, and then I have some excess. I might, you know, I might want some in, in crypto, might want some in gold and silver. Okay. Uh, are you specifically referencing to Bitcoin or are you interested by any other crypto? Well, so the other cryptos are very different from Bitcoin. Bitcoin is Absolutely. unique um, because it's first, it's the most well-known, um, it's the most traded and, uh, and it's, um, and, and, and it's, and there's a fixed amount of it. Okay. So, so Bitcoin is unique. Um, whereas you take uh, ETH and, you know, Ethereum is really more, uh, really trades more like a stock because it's, uh, Ethereum's an, a, 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 is a functioning tool, right? I mean, it's, it's basically a language that you're programming, um, that you're using, you're, you're using that to program in blockchain. And as we see blockchain take off, most blockchain applications are done in Ethereum. So mm -hmm. I think they have ver two very different aspects to them. And I, I really don't compare them to each other, um, except they're both, they both have tokens um, and they tend to move a little bit together. Mm -hmm. But um, Ethereum is really more of an application um, and uh, a, a, it's almost like a programming language for blockchain is the way I look at it. So the kind of recap here is, don't bet the house uh, on, on crypto, but crypto is in a downturn. There's this kind of four-year cycle and rich people make their money in, in down markets. So it's probably interesting to invest more now than in one or two years. Exactly. Um, so you wrote a book called Tax-Free Wealth, in which you explain how to build wealth and pay no tax. So how? <laughs> well, so so really, um, the first thing to understand is to understand the tax law in all countries um, is is really fundamentally a series of incentives for uh, certain industries that the government favors. So, for example, the government wants to create jobs; it provides tax incentives in business because business is what creates jobs. If it wants to create, if it wants to promote housing, then the, then the government um, increases the tax incentives for housing and real estate. If it wants to promote energy, the government provides tax incentives for developing energy. Um, we're seeing a lot of that right now in clean energy. We have lots of government incentives around the world for developing clean energy. If uh, you want to promote agriculture, food production, then you do that through tax incentives. The government has long understood that people don't like paying tax. And since they, since the government shifted from taxing only the rich, which initially only the rich were taxed, and they shifted to taxing the general public, now what they're saying is, well, look, particularly the high income general public, I'm talking about the, not, not, the, not the 0.001%, but the 1%, the 5% and the 1%. What they wanna do is they say, look, you've got extra cash. Um, you know, if you're in the bottom half, uh, bottom 50%, you don't have any extra cash. You're living hand to mouth. You're trying to put food on the table for your family. 
But that top 5%, they have extra money. They, they have money that can be invested. And what the government's telling you is, look, we're going to give you directions in the tax law on how if you invest the way we want you to invest, we'll give you tax breaks. Well, one of the things that the wealthy really understand, and it's really not that they understand, it's that they have really good advisors who understand it, is that um, building, building wealth is the best way to reduce your taxes. You don't, uh, you know, saving money won't ever reduce your taxes because you're going to be taxed on money you save. If you spend money, if you consume it, you're going to be taxed on that money. But the money that you invest, um, truly invest in the economy through in, in your business, every dollar you invest in your business is tax deductible yeah. in every country, yeah. in every country. Um, money you invest in uh, rental real estate for housing is deductible in every country. This is, uh, this is what I wrote the win-win wealth strategy it was really to illustrate these um, seven different categories of investments that the government really is saying, look, we want you to do these things. We're going to give you an incentive. We're going we're gonna to get some benefit out of it. You're going to get benefit out of it. This is a win-win strategy between us and it's a partnership. And, and I think that uh, the first thing people have to remember is that they are in a partnership with their government, whether they like it or not. We don't get to choose. We're by definition, we, we live in a country, we um, work in a country, we're citizens of a country, we are subject to the taxes of that country. So we're in a partnership with them and we share our income with them, like it or not. The, the, the question is, are we going to be a silent partner and just turn over our money every paycheck or are we gonna be an active partner and do things the government wants done? And by the more we do of those activities, the lower our taxes go. So literally, the more money you make, the more tax you pay, but the more money you invest, the more the more wealth you create, the less tax you pay. So that's, to me, you know, once you learn that whole lesson, that mind shift about what the tax law really is about, which is incentives, uh, now you can start looking at those incentives and say, okay, how would these apply in my situation mm -hmm. um, and the type of investing I want to do, my niche, my specialty, my special criteria, how do I apply those to those criteria so that I can actually make a lot more money and pay a lot less tax? Yeah, so it's, so what you're saying is it's going from a mindset of, oh, I need to pay those taxes, uh, I hate taxes, to how can I kind of understand the game of taxes and pay it at my best advantage and take advantage uh, yeah, and, and it's even more than that. It's like, how can I understand what the government uh, is encouraging, yeah. right? I mean, right now in the U.S., for example, uh, the government has huge encouragement towards solar energy. I mean, huge tax incentives for solar energy. Okay, well, okay. So if I'm willing to do what the government has asked me to do, then they're going to give me these big tax breaks. In Singapore, where you are, um, there are big tax incentives for research and development, hmm. um, huge tax incentives. And Singapore is a big uh, research and development community. Yeah. And so they're big tax incentives for that. And so every country has its uh, specific um, areas that it wants to incentivize. And uh, it uses the tax law to do that. Once you understand that, then you can start looking at the tax law and go, wow, this is actually not just a way to reduce tax. This is a roadmap to building wealth. Hmm. So you mentioned your other book called The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, Seven Investments the Government Will Pay You to Make. And you kind of mentioned already uh, 
how to use tax incentives to help you pay for, you know, next car, house, tuition bill. Can you explain a bit more the basics and maybe take two or three examples or one or two examples of how that concretely would work? Because probably a lot of people don't, don't have no clue about it. <laughs> well, think about this. Okay, let's say that if you were just, um, let's say you would normally owe $50,000 in taxes, okay, over the year. Okay, mm -hmm. let's say that that's your tax bill for the year. And if there, if you can reduce your taxes by $10,000, what could you do with that $10,000? Well, you could, you know, put a down payment on a house. You could put a down payment on a car. You could, um, you could take a vacation, um, which is a lot of people do. Um, you can, there, there's, or, or you could reinvest that money and actually get more tax benefits. So you can actually uh, compound that tax savings. Um, so that's, that's all we're, that, it's that simple. You know, remember that the, your tax deductions come at your highest rate. So um, every dollar you take off of your income is a dollar back to you at your highest tax yeah. rate. Okay. And so you can look at that and you go, well, wait a minute. I, what I really want to do is I might want to go from a 40% tax rate, which is the average tax rate of somebody who makes a good salary or is, is successful in business. I want to go from a 40% tax rate to a 20% tax rate. So I'm going to do what I need to do to go from 40 to 20. I'm okay with 20. And a lot of people would say they're fine with 20, right? That's actually our first target. We target 20% first. And then if they want to go lower, we can go lower. But um, that, that top 20%, you're going, wow, that is means that if I have a dollar deduction, I get 40 cents back. Mm. That means that that's like buying something with a 40% discount. So if I, for example, if I buy a car and I use it in my business solely, I pay only 60% of the price of that car because I'm getting a deduction that is equal to 40 cents on the dollar form for me in reduced taxes. So that way I can buy either a nicer car or I can buy the car. And then I have that extra 40 cents or 40% to use in my investing and use it somewhere else. Whereas if I buy a car for personal purposes, I don't get that benefit. So I'm paying full price. So the question is, do you want to, do you want to buy something at a discount? which the government is willing to give you, or you're going to buy it at full price. Well, that's one of the choices we have to make on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. So it's really worth for people, because a lot of people might feel, you know, kind of overwhelmed already with their day job because they have to work a lot because they don't have the choice. So it's really, worked, it's really worth for people to kind of go the extra mile and think about taxes in that way because it just makes so much sense. And it's, it's the same as basically owning a business and expensing your, I mean, not all your personal expenses, but saying, hey, do I spend money that I got from my salary where I've been taxed already? Or do I actually, can I use this as a business expense, which will be deducted uh, for, my, for my business tax and, and will, will leave me with more of my, uh, my salary, actually? Yeah, and I'd go a step further. I'd say, look, um, it's only deductible if that expense is going to make you more income, that's what makes it deductible. So, so the tax law says, look, you can deduct it if the purpose of spending the money is to make more money. Mm. Well, so not only are you reducing your taxes, but you're actually doing using the money to make more money. So you get both sides of it. You get lower taxes and you're making more money. 
Whereas if you spend it personally, you get higher taxes and you're not making more money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you give advice to people most of the time. What's the best advice you've ever been given from someone? Um, I, I, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Um, we, 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 we chat on a regular basis, at least once a week. And uh, said, you know, uh, a mistake is not a sin unless it goes, unless you don't admit it. Okay. And so admitting mistakes, admitting your weaknesses is where you get the greatest strength. And, um, you know, this is where I, I, what I love about um, what we're seeing today, particularly in uh, younger generations, we see more and more transparency, more and more willingness to be open um, to who they are. And I, I think that's a, a huge opportunity for us because if we're willing to learn, we're willing to acknowledge that we have a lot more to learn. Mm. Um, you know, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know, um, then that's when, that's when we have true growth. And that's when we can really, really make a difference in the world. Do you want to share maybe your biggest mistake that you want to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> My biggest mistake. Wow. I made so many of them. This is really hard. Um, uh, Honestly, probably um, waiting too long to get out of my first marriage. Okay. That was pro probably my biggest mistake. Um, I was actually thinking when I asked this question, I was like, this might be a kind of woman related. You know, <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, you know, here, here, here's what happens is that, you, you know, when you have two people together, you kind of spin around each other. And if you're spinning at the same speed, then everything's going great. Okay, but when one starts spinning faster and moving faster than the other, or the other one slows down, mm. then what happens is that person spins out. And that's basically what happened to me and my first wife is that um, she slowed down and I sped up. So when I started doing personal development work with Robert Kiyosaki, um, she, she was upset that I was spending time with him. She goes, he's ruining you. Well, what he was doing was he was opening my world. Yeah. to, you know, what the possibilities were. And she didn't like that. And that um, it, it really did have an impact uh, because I started growing faster and more and then she just shut down. And so it was, it was very tough. I, I stayed as long as I could and eventually got out, but um, probably could have gotten out 15 years earlier and would have been. I wanted to say, I want to 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. You know, they say that um, uh, divorce is most likely at five 20 and 34 years. And okay. uh, I got I, I got divorced at 34 years, um, but 20, 20 years would have been better. Okay. Um, what's something you believe in that most people would not agree with? Oh, my heavens. Um, well, the most obvious is, is that um, you have a patriotic duty to reduce your taxes. You, 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 aren't, you are not a patriot if you're just sitting there paying taxes and you're not doing things that the government incentivizes because, you know, the government looks long and hard at these things. They don't, this isn't done overnight. I mean, they're really doing a lot of studies. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of uh, um, analysis to determine, okay, 
if we're going to, for example, if we're going to reduce climate change, if we want to reduce emissions in the atmosphere, we want to go to uh, clean energy. Well, how are we going to do this? Well, we need people to invest in clean energy. Okay, well, if I invest in clean energy, I'm going to get tax benefits. Mm -hmm. So that what happens is, and I, I know a lot of people, for example, we had a real shortage of housing for the last 10 years in the United States, a, a huge shortage of housing. Well, five years, just over five years ago, um, uh, the Trump administration enacted a bill that would um, um, significantly encourage um, investing in real estate. And I know a number of people personally that they invested in real estate because of the tax incentives. But what that did was their investing in real estate actually caused more real estate to be built. Mm. So it really did. It, we now don't have that same shortage. Okay, we're now this year, we may hit our first surplus of housing. Well, why is that? Well, because people wanted those tax benefits. So those people who didn't invest in housing, they didn't help the housing. Mm. They didn't help the housing crisis. So I, I think that's probably the one that people would um, question the most. <laughs> so don't see taxes as, a, as, a, as an evil, but see taxes as a way for the government to incentivize people to invest in what the government wants. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, if there was a key takeaway from today that people should live with, what would it be? Oh, that I, I, I actually think the key takeaway is don't chase the shiny object. I, I think that's really the key takeaway is that you, you need to understand the fundamentals of investing in a business. Um, and that includes taxes. That includes, um, you know, not diversifying, but specializing. I mean, these are all the fundamentals. This is like you said, you know, billionaires, <laughs> billionaires specialize. They don't diversify millionaires. Yeah. You can get to be a millionaire uh, diversifying, but you can never get to be a billionaire that way. And so I, I actually think, um, that's huge, and I appreciate you bringing that one up. Awesome. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you.